All right, have you guys take your seats, and we'll turn our attention uh, to God's Word. We've been in a series in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We've been working ourselves through the, the whole book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to try to tackle a pretty lengthy chunk of Scripture today. And so settle in. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to go um, going to preach through 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12, through all of chapter 19. And it's going to be awesome. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm not going to do a, a, a traditional scripture reading. We're going to work through it as I preach. Let me pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we open your book. It is open before us. And we believe, we do this, we look at these ancient texts about a Bronze Age king and his troubles because we believe that you speak to us through it, that you reveal your unchanging heart, that we can see ourselves, our troubles. We we have troubles, we have enemies. There's ways in which each one of us is on the run. And the God that we see revealed, the God of David, is our God if we put our trust in him. And so we read these stories to get a sense of the heart of God and what it means that God is with us. Would you reveal that to us? I feel like we need it. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Um, This is a pretty cool section of scripture, and it's organized around five plots to kill David. Who doesn't like attempted murder? If that wasn't going to, you know, if you needed help staying awake today, there you go. Five attempted murder plots. And in each of those five plots, there is an allusion to an Old Testament story that gives that particular portion of Scripture greater significance. And so what we see in these five plots and five biblical echoes is we see God's character revealed to us, a pattern He is consistent in the way that he interacts with the people that he loves. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The God here who is revealed as the God with David, David's God is the God who is with you. He is your God, God with us. And so here we get little portraits and pictures of what it looks like when God is with you. What does it look like when God is with you? What does it feel like when God is with you? And those are important questions because I know there are folks in this room who are wondering if God is with them. That are just hanging on by a thread when it comes to hope and faith. Here we see God protecting his servant in the midst of suffering. And he is working in your life in the same ways to protect you. So I just want to look at this together. 
And like I said, it's organized around five murder attempts on David's life and five Old Testament allusions or echoes. And so we're going to put all of that stuff together and see what it means for us. Let's go. Little bit of background. David has defeated Goliath. Even if you don't come to church, you know that story. He defeated Goliath. And, and everyone loved David as a result of his great victory, except for Saul. Because Saul was jealous of David. And last week we saw that his jealousy grew. And it has now become a murderous rage. He's going to try to kill David. Murder attempt number one. I call it murder by demotion. Verse 12 and 13. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. Now, to understand what's going on here, you have to go back to verse 5 earlier in this chapter. Right after David defeats Goliath, we're told that Saul puts him, makes him a general over the men of war. Now, men of war is a technical term. It means super elite soldiers. It's like the army rangers of the Israelite army. And so David was initially put in charge of the best protected by this very proficient fighting force. But as he grows in popularity, he's now demoted, removed from Saul, and he's no longer in charge of the elite troops, but he is a commander of a thousand. He's been demoted. These are the regular infantry men, the kinds of folks that are on the front lines and in the most risk. And the idea is that David now heads this less effective fighting force. So it's more likely that David will die, get smoked. Yep. Does the plan work? Verse 13. And he went out and came in before the people. And going out and coming in, that's just Bible talk for going to fight battles. And David had success in all his undertakings. For, what does it say? The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of David. But all Israel in Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them, and they liked that. So the plan doesn't work. David just keeps having victory and victory, success and success. And why does he? It tells us because God was with him. Even without elite soldiers on his side, God was by his side. And that made all the difference in the world. Now, it's important to note that most likely David would have been totally unaware of God's special grace and protection at this point in his life. In other words, it's not like an angelic army suddenly appeared on the battlefield next to him and fought for him. Um, In the same way that David doesn't know that Saul is secretly planning to end his life, David would also have been unaware of his need 
for special protection and grace. So there are two things on the down low, Saul's malice and Yahweh's protection. But the latter is stronger than the former. And here's the point. Was that just written for David's sake? Might it mean to suggest to us that there is a quiet and hidden way that the Lord might be protecting you? A hidden grace of God that is the heritage of all of his servants? Might it imply that much of God's protection of your life is completely unknown to you? Might it bring to mind the myriad of ways that God has protected you and your family, your loved ones, your hearts, in all kinds of hidden ways? It is easy to blame God in a crisis. But what do we ever blame God for the hundreds of ordinary days that go by that we don't have crazy things happen to us? Because God is with us. Or in in a crisis, still helping us to stand. That's murder plot one. But there is a biblical allusion, an Old Testament echo that's here too. And we find it in that language of God was with him. Now we think that that language happens all the time in scripture, but it's not. It's actually pretty rare in the Old Testament. And it first comes up in the stories surrounding Joseph. Now remember Joseph's story. There was jealousy. There were murder plots. His brothers tried to get rid of him and they sold him into slavery. But whatever happened to Joseph, however low his enemies tried to bring him, he always had success. He always prospered despite what his enemies did. And so here it's saying That in the same way that God was with Joseph, we should expect that same pattern of through suffering, going to glory, we're going to see that same thing happen in David's life. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's the the heart of the Joseph story. We're going to see it's the heart of David's story as well. So, Saul wasn't successful, but he's not one to give up so easily. He's nothing if not persistent. So we move on to murder attempt number two. Ooh, and this one we call murder by marriage. Can you say murder by marriage? Murder by marriage. That's right. Okay, now I'm going to summarize this section of scripture. Um, and you can go back this afternoon and check my work. But in verses 17 through 19, we see that Saul isn't quite ready to give up the old, let's let David die in battle plan. The benefits to him are just too great. David would be dead and no one would suspect Saul of anything. And so what he decides to do is offer his daughter, Miriam, in marriage to David. So that he has to continue to prove himself in battle. His daughter as a trap for murder. What a loving father. 
A couple of things to note here. Saul had already offered the hand of Miriab to whoever would defeat Goliath, which David did, and there was no marriage. And now he's going to try to get David to go out and risk himself again um, in battle. Um, And so he's given an assignment, and David goes out, and he's again wildly successful. But guess what Saul doesn't give David as a result? He doesn't keep his end of the bargain. He double-crosses David again and gives his daughter Miriam to someone else. And we're not told why Saul does this, but perhaps, it, perhaps it's because he knows his next daughter loves David and he can use her to try to kill David in the same way. So, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. In other words, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And so Saul sends some servants to David saying, hey, David, deals back on. You could be my son-in-law, the son-in-law of the king, if only. And David politely finds a way of saying, what is this really going to cost me? I've killed a giant and a number of other Philistines for you. And apparently that wasn't enough. What is it going to take? And so Saul sets a specific price. He says, no problem, we can work this out. 100 Philistine foreskins. Now they did some pretty weird things in the ancient Near East. And gruesome things. But even by Near Eastern standards, this was bizarre and gruesome. And very dangerous. But Saul is playing the law of averages. A hundred is a lot. At some point, one of these Philistines is going to break through. So David goes out and he comes in and he comes back with 200 gruesome trophies and presents them to the king. Now for the math majors out there, 200 is more than 100. It is double 100. David is not going to get hoodwinked again because Saul's servants, everyone else heard the deal and here he is with double the price. Needless to say, and so he marries Michael. Saul has to give her to him. And so this was not the outcome Saul was looking for. Verse 29, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that, look at this, his name was highly esteemed. And so Saul's plan had spectacularly backfired. He is worse off than when he started. Now David, his enemy, is a part of the royal house and his own daughter loves David. His own servants love David. And because of that, he's even more afraid of David. And he is now, David is now, for Saul, public enemy number one. 
Now, plot two has an Old Testament echo as well. There's allusions here to other stories in the Old Testament that deepen our appreciation of what's happening here. Bible nerds, here's the quiz. There's another story in the Old Testament where a person who God is with, a person chosen by God, is offered marriage, goes through a great trial, doesn't get the marriage he's looking for, has to go through a great trial again, and is finally given the girl that he's promised. Who is it? Jacob, gold star. I actually brought gold stars. You can come up afterward and receive them. Jacob and Laban. Saul is like Laban, the deceiver, the enemy. And David is like Jacob, God's chosen one, who again, despite the plans and schemes of his enemies, will have great success. Remember how David just kept having success after success despite Laban's schemes? The lower they tried to bring Jacob, the higher he rose in the end. And it's the same story that happened with Joseph. It's the same story that happened with Jacob. It's the same thing that's going on in the life of David. So what does Saul do next? Repent? Give up? Nope. He ups the ante because he's Saul. And in chapter 19, we see he takes his murderous plans public, and now he's going to enlist the help of his servants and even his son. Murder attempt number three, I call it going public. Verses one through seven. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself there. And I will go out and stand before my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because of his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his, uh, his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore. This isn't like the four-letter word kind of swearing. This is like the oath kind of swearing. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. And he was in his presence as before. Okay. So here Saul begins to do publicly what he had been doing earlier privately in secret, trying to kill David. Now the word is out. And he tries to enlist Jonathan, who is David's beloved friend and advocate. Jonathan is like a brother to David. And Jonathan reasons with Saul. After hiding David in the midst of a field, he goes and has a conversation with Saul. And he advocates with his father on David's behalf. 
And he presses rational, moral, and theological considerations upon him, saying things like, David hasn't wronged you. In fact, he's only done you good. Think about the great victory that he won. Yahweh saved us, and and we were so glad. Will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death for nothing? And at least for the moment, Saul sees that Jonathan was right. And he makes an oath never to kill David. Now, breaking an oath may not be a big deal in our culture. In that culture, big deal. And to God still, big deal. Now, Saul's going to keep this oath for about one verse. But, but for now, it seems that Jonathan's reason prevailed. And so Jonathan informs David and brings him back to the court. Now, David's life is again protected. But this time, through the reasoned advocacy of a good friend. God's protection of David before was hidden Invisible, but now it's visible through the ordinary help of a friend. One of the ways that God is with us is through the reasoned advocacy and help that good friends bring us. He works in hidden ways and he works through our ordinary relationships. God is with David through Jonathan. And alongside this third murder plot, we have our third Old Testament illusion as well. It's there, but it's a little tougher to see. Bible nerds, put your hats on. There's jealousy, attempted murder, a set of brothers, a field, and innocent blood that if it's spilt, will speak against the murderer. What does all that bring to your mind? Cain and Abel. Oh, come now. This is Cain and Abel imagery. Saul is in the place of Cain. David is in the place of Abel. But get this. There's an introduction of a new character. The true brother who understood that he was meant to be his brother's keeper. Ah, isn't the Bible awesome? God provides the true brother to disrupt the plans of the canes of the world. Come now, guys. This is awesome. And so, because of Jonathan, David is brought back to court. And there is peace. And that peace lasts about one verse. Verses 8 through 10 here. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with his, with his spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David against the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. So we've seen this scene before. Uh, More war, more Davidic success, and more of Saul's jealous madness. And that jealousy has taken over Saul's life. So now he is beyond the reach of reason. 
If you have questions about what an evil spirit is that comes upon Saul, you can see last week's sermon where we kind of talked about that. But what we need to know is that he is in a murderous rage. He's beyond reason, and he throws the spear again, this time for the third time, trying to pin David against the wall. I guess we're to assume that the first two times David just thought, yeah, Saul, this is, Saul's not being himself. He's just overcome. He's having a bad day, but now he gets it. If he doesn't get away from Saul, his life is going to be over. And so he fled and escaped that night. And that language of fled and escaped that night, that phrase is going to show up multiple times in the chapter. And it's an important phrase, and it's telling us this is the beginning of a new season for David. Because this begins David's time on the run. He's no longer in the courts of the king. He is going to be a fugitive for the next decade of his life. David is going to be on the run. God is with David and David is on the run. Hiding from enemies in the middle of the night. All that to say God is with David but that doesn't mean his life is a fairy tale. It doesn't mean that everything's peachy keen. It doesn't mean that he's not in danger. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have enemies. And yet, God is with him. Now, all of this leads to murder attempt number four, which I call send in the hitmen. And here we go. I'm going to summarize this section as well. This is verses 11 through 17. David runs home. But home isn't safe for David because Saul has set up his cronies to watch for David so that they can break into his house at night and kill him. But Michael, David's loving wife, knows about this. And she says to him, David, you got to get out of here. If you don't, you're not going to make it through the night. You can't stay here. They're going to kill you. And so she makes some kind of rope. And she lowers David outside of the window. Now, a lot of the houses in the ancient Near World would have actually been in a city wall. And so it would be possible for him to escape from the city outside of a window. And then Michael does something else, sneaky. She takes a household idol, which would have been a a human-like statue used in pagan worship, which is a little sus that she has a human-like statue that's used in pagan worship. So she's not a super faithful Israelite, but she is going to forsake her pagan practices in order to save God's covenant partner. And so she puts the statue in bed, puts some goat hair on it, and a pillow by the head, so it looks like David's in bed. It's the old dummy in the bed trick, very Ferris Bueller. It, very, it started with Michael. And when the soldiers come in looking for David, she said, oh, he's sick. Don't you see him in bed there? And they're like, okay, I'll go tell Saul. And, so, and Saul says, go get him. So they go get the thing, bed and all, and they find out, oh, we've been duped by Michael. He's not there. He's escaped. God is with David. And here again, his means of protection is not hidden. It's through the ordinary 
intervention of someone that loves him, but this time not a friend. It's through the plans and cunning of a spouse. Has a spouse recently been trying to rescue you? Been telling you things that you need to hear? It's one of the ways that God can be with us if we're married. The words of our spouse. And then notice the Old Testament echoes. An Israelite warrior threatened with death in the city. Being helped by a faithful, non-practicing Israelite out of a window. What is it? Rahab. Rahab. Rahab and the spies. Like Rahab, Michael lied to the king's men, sending them the wrong way, which allowed the spies to escape through the window. And that comparison puts Saul in the place of the the king of Jericho and suggests that his city is about to be doomed to fall because this is a new Joshua. This is David. And the plans that are formed against him will not prosper. In the end, he will succeed just like Jacob, just like Joshua, just like Joseph. David is protected again. Again, it's not pretty. Did he feel like God was with him when he was climbing down the rope through the window in the middle of the night? Did, he, did it feel like God was with him when he was being hunted? But we know the truth of it. God was with him. He was on a, sur- a journey from suffering to glory. Okay, we're going to close this thing out. Are you ready? Murder attempt number five. I don't have a name for it. (laughs) Verses 18 through 24. Here we go. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done for him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. So Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, Samuel standing as head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And then Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to a great well that is at Saku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel. And lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? Is that clear as mud? Let's go. So David escapes and goes to Ramah. And that makes sense because that's where Samuel is. And that's where I would go to if I was in trouble and I was David. I'd go to find Samuel. And he goes and he lives with Samuel. And eventually Saul hears that this is where David has gone. And so he sends messengers, which are really his lovely hitmen, to go and get David. But as they go, they meet a bunch of the school of prophets that hang out with Samuel and they are in, and they are prophesying. 
which is you kind of have to suspend belief of what you think prophecy is because prophesying in the Old Testament is, it can be good or bad and it's, it's entering an altered state because of the presence of some spirit, good or evil. And so it's being overcome by a spirit so that you're in an altered state of reality. And these men who go to curse and kill David end up prophesying, blessing God, overcome by God's irresistible spirit. And so Saul sends more soldiers. And the same thing happens again. They are overcome by God's spirit and they're meant to kill David. They end up praising God. He sends a third group of people. They're there to curse and kill David, but they end up praising God. And finally, Saul says, well, if you can't, nobody can find good help these days. You kind of got to go yourself and do it. And Saul goes, and on his way, he is overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And he who is going to kill David ends up kneeling, stripped in humility before the Lord. And instead of cursing David, he is praising God with the prophets. In the end, despite all of his plotting, he is simply an instrument of the sovereign God. And here's an echo of the Old Testament as well. This one's harder. So people, prophets sent to, prophets sent to curse God three times, but there's an irresistible spirit And what ends up is just blessing. Anybody? Balaam. Bob Caldwell gets three gold stars. It's Balaam. Balaam, the mad prophet who's hired out by a king to curse Israel. And three times messengers are sent. And the prophet says, I can't curse what God blessed. Get that. I can't curse what God has blessed. They say curse. And every time a blessing comes out. Because you can't curse what God has blessed. And that's what we see happening here. That's the story. Holy cow, we went through a lot of scripture there. Let me try to pull it together. There's a lot to reflect on. And we could reflect on what it means that God is with us. All of the ways, the the myriad of ways, the hidden ways, the ordinary ways, the extraordinary ways that God is with you. And there have been those ways. But it's also important to see what it doesn't mean when the Bible says that God is with us. It doesn't mean that we're always safe. It doesn't always mean that we're free from danger. In this text that is all about God being with and protecting David, we see David on the run as a fugitive. He has spears thrown at him. He's crawling through windows in the middle of the night. Did it feel like God was with him when he was on the battlefield? Did it feel like God was with him when he was hidden in the field? When he was scurrying out the window? When he was dodging the spear? When he was on the run from Samuel's or from Saul's soldiers? There is no way at this point in the story that David would have understood any of this. And we know that's true because he wrote a psalm about it in Psalm 59 where he expresses his confusion 
and his hurt and his longing for God, but we know that God was with him. Often in unseen ways, ordinary ways, sometimes extraordinary ways. Not only protecting him, but growing him. Because we know that these wilderness journeys served as a kind of boot camp for David. He was being taken into God's school of leadership and a character was being forged in him that was going to prepare him for something great to be the king. He is on a journey from suffering to glory. And it wasn't just David. It's saying that this is the pathway for all of God's true servants. It was that way for Jacob. It was that way for Joseph. It was that way for Joshua. It was that way for Israel. It was that way for all of the prophets. And finally and fully, it is that, it was that way for Christ who was hunted, on the run, plotted against, who went to glory through suffering on the cross. But here's the difference about his journey. He did it voluntarily and he did it for us so that he could pave the way so that we would know without a doubt that God is with us. He is Emmanuel after all in suffering to glory because of Christ's work, even death, our greatest enemy, ends up serving us, making us better than we were before, raising us higher than anything in this earth could raise us. Whether you die from cancer or in a car accident or from terrorism or from old age or a nuclear blast, it doesn't matter. You know why? God is with you. And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? David faced all those things. And he found out that he is more than a conqueror through the God who is with him and who has loved us. And and so are you, dear one. And so am I. And so it may not feel like God is with you when you're, when you're getting chemo. It may not feel like God is with you when the relationship explodes. It may, it may not feel like God is with us when we're in a sea of grief, a wilderness of depression, the mess of our own making. But this passage opens our eyes to see the ordinary ways, the hidden ways, and the extraordinary ways that God is sustaining us. We get there through the river, not over it. And he went before us, crucified into death, and he came out the other side. He knows the way through suffering to glory, and he is the one that is on our side. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, that was a bunch of scripture, and these guys just sat through all of it. I pray that something lands, and I pray that what lands is that you are with these dear people. 
That whatever they're going through, whatever suffering, whatever hardship, whatever wilderness, the ways that they feel they're on the run, that they can trust a God who from beginning to end has shown himself to be able to bring people through suffering to glory. For some of us, that message needs to land deep in the heart to give hope again in a hopeless world, to help restore and faith in a world where it's hard to believe. And so I just pray that your presence would be felt with us because you are Emmanuel and we will trust it today. Praying this in God's name, amen.